We have officially been here for one year, all right? And so that's exciting. Um, we, uh, we made it, all right? It was a little tough, a little challenging this year. It's funny, I was thinking this week, I was like, if COVID would have happened before we started, all right, we wouldn't have started, you know, because we'd be thinking strategically, like, you know, what's the best way? You know, we don't want to do start this church when COVID's here. We'd probably, we probably would have waited a year. And so I was just thinking about that. But, you know, because we were stupid, because we would have been stupid. Um, but God had COVID happen after we started. And even though it, it posed some challenges, all right, we were able to make it through. And our mission, um, what we're here to do, which is to reach people for Jesus, um, has never been stronger. And it, if, if anything, it... Um, it was, you know, we did even better during COVID. So uh, just, it's just funny how God works and, uh, and he is using our church um, to reach our community. Last year, a year ago this week, we uh, started with 200-ish uh, people from Tiffin and, uh, and from Seneca County who drove to Fremont, to our Fremont campus every week and decided to start a church uh, with them. And so for our first service, it was only supposed to be like our 200-ish launch team people, all right? You guys weren't supposed to invite friends. We told you not to invite friends, but you guys invited friends. And, um, and we had almost 400 people for the first two weeks of our like soft launch. And I'm so glad you guys did that. I'm so glad you guys didn't listen to us uh, because number one, we don't exactly know exactly what we're doing all the time. Uh, but uh, but because of you guys inviting your friends and having 400 people for the first two weeks, we decided to go to two services for our grand opening. And if we wouldn't have done that, it would have been a nightmare, all right? For our grand opening, we had almost 1,000 people a year ago here at this church. We brought in, um, yeah, it's cool what God has done. Uh, we brought in every seat in the building. Um, we went out, especially second service. Uh, this was, you know, first time we went to two services. So the second service was extremely um, crowded. But we went out and, uh, and we took the chairs from the kids' rooms. All right, we took and took all the high top t- chairs, you know, out the bar chairs out, uh, out in the atrium. We brought those all in here. People were, people were sitting everywhere. Um, and then some people were like scattered around sitting or scattered around standing in the back. And as a pastor, some of those were our people which is good. Um, well, not good, but I'm thankful for that. But, but, you know, as a pastor, I'm like looking out and I remember just being like horrified because it's like, I hope that person's not new, you know, like, hey, yeah, come check out our church. You know, oh yeah, you're, we're glad you're here. Stand here for an hour and, uh, and listen to this guy talk for 35 minutes. You know, not the best case scenario for someone to be introduced to our church. But, uh, but we made it through. Uh, for Christmas, we had over 1,300 people uh, here for our Christmas services. Our average before, um, before covid happened, which kind of screwed everything up, was uh, we had 670 people here on, um, on every Sunday, you know, on Sunday mornings. By the way, that's 400 people who weren't going to church a year ago. You know what I mean? Like, think of it that way. Um, the past year, we've had um, uh, almost 400 individual kids that have checked into Grace Kids, and Grace Kids was only open for like eight months. Even when we came back as a church and started services again in the summer, we didn't start Grace Kids off right away. Um, We've had 138 people who have become members of our church saying, hey, no, I want to be part of this family. I want to be part of this team. Um, So that's cool. We've had 33 people uh, get baptized in last year. And uh, we've had a ton of people say, for the first time in my life, I'm giving my life over to Jesus. And so that's what we're all about. We've had 29 of those just since we opened this summer 
uh, since COVID. And so God is doing some crazy stuff. And let me just say this. I'm not talking about numbers just for numbers' sake, okay? I think sometimes we, we get the wrong idea and we're like, oh, you know, that, that guy or that church, they're only about the numbers. No, that's not what, you know, we're not talking about numbers just because we want to feel good about ourselves, right? The reality is behind every single number is a soul that's either going to heaven or hell. So for us, yeah, it does matter. And, uh, and that's the reason why we talk about these. That's the reason why we talk about numbers sometimes. And, that, and that's what we want to see God do in our community is help rescue people from the reality of a place called hell. And he's doing it. All right? It's been so fun to watch. especially those of you who came from our Fremont campus, it's been so fun to watch our church, like our family, this new family, um, you, us, come together and reach our city and our, in Seneca County. Uh, And God, what's cool about it is God's allowing us to see the results, which by the way, he doesn't always do. Right? Probably most of the time, we don't get to see the results or we we don't get to see the impact that um, God has allowed us to have on people uh, but here we've been able to watch with our own eyes. We've been watching, you know, our family grow. And it's been, you know, it's just been so fun the last, the last year and uh, being able to see the impact that we've been able to have on this town. It really reminds me of when Paul uh, wrote the church in this small city called Colossi, in Colossians uh, chapter 1. Uh, Paul says, hey, the gospel is growing deeper in you. This was a new church, just like, just like we are. He's saying, hey, the gospel is growing deeper in you, meaning you're growing in your relationship with God. And because of that, he's saying, it's growing wider in this world. All right? Because of us, all right, people are coming to know Jesus, and we've had the privilege of watching that happen here in Tiffin. Um, and so this morning, what I want to do, we're starting a brand new series called My City, My Responsibility. We're going to be talking about what our responsibility is. And it's only going to be for a couple weeks, and I'll explain that here in just a second. But, uh, but I want to push you in your thinking as it relates to our responsibility to reach our city and our county. All right? I want to push you into that. And what Paul is going to say, and we're going to look at this letter in Colossians, what Paul's going to say, he's going to say, hey, there's two parts, all right, I'm telling you straight up so you don't have to wonder, all right, he's saying, hey, there's, there's two parts. First, you got to pray, and then you got to do, all right, you got to do both. It's not just one or the other, it's, no, you have to do both. That is how you take responsibility for the community around you. Now, we live in a world that kind of treats responsibility funny, right? Like when good things happen, we're like, oh, yeah. I'll take responsibility for that. Oh, yeah, that was me. Oh, yeah, we like to take credit for the good stuff. But then when something bad happens, all right, it's like, well, I'm not taking responsibility for that. Or no, no, I'm not, I'm not, that wasn't me. Or I'm not, I'm not doing that. All right, even our society teaches us that even when something bad happens in our own life, right, to blame others. Okay, that's what we do. It's the blame game. We, you know, it's always somebody else's fault. All right, it's never our fault. We don't like taking responsibility for any of the bad. But, uh, but God tells us that, no, we, do, we are responsible for some things. And again, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And, uh, and responsibility matters. Now, how many of you um, kind of wish you could go back to the days when you didn't have any responsibility? Yeah? Like when you're a kid? All right? Like I, I look at, you know, my kids and it's like the worst thing that happens in their day is they lose their toy truck. You know, I'm like, that's, that's the worst thing that's devastating you right now. You got a pretty good life, you know? And it's like, man, I miss those days. Um, I remember uh, as a kid, I was probably like eight or nine years old. I, uh, uh, my sister and I, we found a cat. Now, probably everybody's got a story like this. When you're a kid, we found a cat out in the neighborhood. Um, we had this like giant 
old barn behind our house, and there's like cats all over the place. And so we found this baby kitten, and uh, and we take it. You know, we're like playing with it. We take it to my to our mom, and like and again, everybody has a story like this. And uh, and we're like showing her the cats, like oh cute. You know, look at this little kitten. And we're like, mom, can we can we have it? And she said, no. All right. And her reasoning, which I did not agree with at the time, was based off responsibility. She's like, you don't understand. You got to like, there's a whole bunch of stuff. You got to feed this thing. You got to give it water. You got to give it a place to stay. You got to, you know, you got to clean it. You got to take care of it. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to be responsible. And her point was, you're not responsible enough to have this cat. You know, and as a kid, you're like, what? You have to accept it. It's already like part of our family. You know, this is like, this is our cat. And, And so what my sister and I did is we took that cat, we had this like little fort thing in the backyard, we took it in there, we had a bucket, and, uh, and we, we put the cat, we turned the bucket upside down and had the cat in the bucket, all right, and then we put a rock on top of a bucket, you know, to keep the cat in there. And it was safe, all right, and, uh, and, uh, it, but that's what we did, which isn't very responsible, all right? We'd go like after school, we'd run out there, we'd get some like food from the kitchen or, you know, cheese or, you know, tuna can. I don't know what we did, but we ran out and we'd like, we like feed this cat a little bit, probably not as much as what the cat actually needed. And, uh, but we thought we were doing pretty good. And then we'd like play with the cat for like 20 minutes and put the cat back in the bucket, put the bucket down and go do whatever else we were doing. But that was like, that was like our cat. We did that for like two weeks. Um, which you could probably, you know, get arrested for that these days. And, um, and, but we love this cat, right? And I remember my mom, she actually saw us one time. She was looking out the, the back window of the house, and she saw us taking this cat out of this bucket, and she, you know, kind of freaked out on us and was like, well, you can't be doing that. You know, you got to let that cat go. And so sure enough, we let the cat go, and we never saw it again. It probably walked off and died. Um, but I know some of you guys are cat people, but uh, I'm sorry. Um, But it's funny, we thought we were taking responsibility for this thing, but we actually were not responsible, okay? We're not being very responsible. See, we like the idea of having responsibility. We love it. And a lot of times we do things where we think we're generally pretty responsible. But the reality is so many times we put minimal effort, if any, into being responsible for the most important thing in our life, which is being responsible for our community. We just don't do anything. We don't, we don't try. We put minimal effort into it. I mean, we see this in churches all the time. This is, why, by the way, why we see churches dying all the time. See, any church that settles with just talking with people who are already in their seats, right, they're not taking on the responsibility, right? Any church that refuses to reach the next generation, they're not taking on the responsibility. Any church that stops inviting or stops talking to people about Jesus, they're not taking on their responsibility. See, I think it's easy for a church like ours, for those of us who are here, um, to look at some of the success that we've had, like what we've had in the last year, the success that God has given us. And uh, I think it's easy for us to just kind of tap the brakes a little bit. You know, take a little rest, like, oh, you know, take a, take a deep breath and, and, and slow down. But that's not what God has called us to do. That's not what God has called us to do. By the way, it's Jesus. He's the one who tells us this. Right, we've been here for a year. We're not done. It's not like we could just go, oh, years up. We survived, you know, and, and we've grown and, and people have found Jesus. So, all right, I'm, uh, I'm taking a break. No, that's, that's not what God has called us to do. The last thing that Jesus says to his disciples, actually, so Jesus dies and, and he, you know, on the third day, raises, uh, he goes, you know, up to, up to heaven and, 
And after that, he appears to, to different people kind of sporadically at different times. He appears to his disciples, which, by the way, are freaking out and are scared and are hiding and all this stuff. They don't want to be crucified either. And so, and so he appears to them. And, and the last time that he appears to them, um, they're, out, they're outside and, and the disciples are gathered up. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28 that even then some of the disciples doubted. Right? They watched him die, but they see him alive. Even then, they're like, I'm not so sure what's going on here. And Jesus tells me, he says, hey, it's not over. All right, I still got some stuff for you guys to do. You still have a mission. You still have the job to do, and this is it. You need to go out, and you need to make disciples. He says, basically, basically you need to go out, and you need to tell others about what I have done for them. We need, to, we need to do whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus. And so he tells them this. And by the way, this is our mission and our job, even for today. And uh, nothing's changed. And he tells them this. And the disciples, they go back to Jerusalem, which is the main city in, in the area where all this kind of went down. And they start telling people. Right? They obey. They start, they start spreading the word, telling people about all this stuff. But they only basically keep it within Jerusalem, which isn't necessarily what God wanted. So God sends some persecution, and, uh, which isn't pleasant. And, and, these, and all the Christians in Jerusalem, they start scattering. At this point, there's like thousands of them. They start scattering and, and taking off and going to different places. But all the way, they kept teaching and telling people about what Jesus had done. And so it spread through the Roman Empire extremely quickly, and the news traveled all the way to the small Roman city that we're going to look at today called Colossae, and, uh, and the church there just exploded. <clears throat> and this church wasn't perfect. They struggled with stuff just like me and you, just like we struggle with stuff. Actually, the thing that they were struggling with the most in that particular church, and this is the reason why Paul is writing the letter to Colossians, is uh, these people were trying to figure out, hey, is this Jesus and or, G- or just Jesus? Like, what do I have to do to go to heaven? What do I actually have to do to be saved? What, what are all the things I got to do? And what are all the things I got to believe? You know, I know Jesus is the central theme, but, but what else is there? Which, by the way, is very similar to how a lot of churches treat Christianity today. I mean, that's what the Catholic Church teaches, right? Hey, yeah, believe in Jesus. Jesus is good, and he's God, and all this stuff, but you also need to do this, and this, and this, and this, and this. You need to do all these works. Struggling with the same thing. And so Paul is writing this letter to them, the letter of Colossians. He's writing it to these people, the Colossians, and uh, his whole point of the letter is basically, hey, Jesus is sufficient in meeting our needs in every area. And it's not Jesus and, it is only Jesus. It's not about doing a bunch of stuff. It's not by putting, you know, your, your trust into, into the, your baptism or communion or all this other stuff. It's only Jesus. And when Paul finishes this letter, he wraps up the letter and his last words is basically kind of like, hey, you know, this is what you need to do. This is, this is how you need to correct your theology and your thinking, but this is, this is what you got to do. Right? This is the mission, and I don't want you to forget that. And he puts that at the end so that, you know, where it was, you know, where it was extremely important. Like, hey, if you didn't hear any of that, at least hear this. He starts this in, in Colossians chapter 4. He says, this is what you got to do. You need to devote yourselves to prayer. Devote here means to give, like, constant attention. Right? He's like, you need to give constant attention uh, to prayer. Like, you want to reach people? You want to fulfill your mission? You want to do what God, what Jesus told us to do before he went up to heaven, Matthew, Matthew chapter 28? He's like, you better make prayer a priority. Prayer's got to be a priority in your life. Now, prayer, if you're like me, is one of those things 
where we all kind of feel a little guilty. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't want to talk about prayer. I stink at praying. You know, it's just not my, not my thing. Like, I've never talked to anybody that's just like, wow, man, I, I pray too much. You know, I don't hear that. Um, or, you know what my problem is? You know, my problem today is I just spent too much time praying. Like, we, you know, we don't know anybody who, people don't say that. None of us feel that way. You know, for me personally, I don't consider myself a good prayer or, or however you would say it, prayer, prayer, I don't know. I don't consider, I, I'm not good at praying. I don't, I don't feel like I am. You know, sometimes I'll be going through my stuff and I'm like, you know, I want to pray for this, I want to pray for this. And, and, and sometimes I get bored. Sometimes I'm sitting there praying. I'm like, I wonder if God is bored with my prayer. You know what I mean? Like, he's just like, oh, here we go again. He's praying for the same thing in the same way. He doesn't really mean it. You know, that type of thing. See, Paul's saying, hey, prayer is crucial in reaching others. Like, it's a big part of it. It's half of it. Right? And he's not just saying, hey, you need to pray. You need to do it. Okay, we're good to go. No, he actually describes how. That's what he says. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, like, like, you know, give constant attention to prayer. And how you do it is you need to stay alert in it with thanksgiving. He's like, you got to be alert. You need to know what's going on around you. All right, you need to be aware of the situations around you. And literally what it means is you need to look for things to pray for in your life. Now, what we're really good is praying for ourselves, Right? Praying for ourselves, maybe someone that we're really close to gets sick or something bad happens, we pray for that for a little while, you know. He's saying, no, 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 no. Prayer is so important, and you need to be constantly looking for things in your life that you need to pray for. This person, that person, this situation, that situation. He's like, you need to look for it, right? But it's not just looking for things to pray for. You need to pray with an attitude, he says, of thanksgiving, See, a lot of us, we're so good at asking for stuff. I mean, that's probably what 95% of our prayer is, right? Just like, hey, God, you know, I could really use some help here. Or, hey, could you take this away? Hey, could you get this pain out of my life? Could you do this? Could you do that? Could you help this person? It's all ask, 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 which isn't necessarily wrong. But Paul, what he's pointing out, he's saying, hey, 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 you're forgetting the thankful part. You're forgetting to say thank you. I know for me, Sometimes I'll be, you know, there'll be some situation in my life or some thing going on that I care a lot about, right? And I'll be, at, you know, and I'll spend two months or so or when, you know, whenever it gets resolved, you know, I'll spend praying like every day. I'm like, hey, God, you know, take care of this. Hey, God, help this. You know, can you fix this, this problem? And then what I've realized at different times in my life is, is God will fix that problem. Sometimes it's not even the way that I thought. Maybe it's some other way that I didn't think of, but God will fix it. And a week will go by and I'm like, shoot. I spent so much time praying for that, and I never, like, thanked him. You ever have that? Where it's like, I don't know when the last time I thanked God for something that he's given to me, even something I've spent so much time asking for. See, Paul, he's pointing this out. He's saying, hey, you know, we, as we pray, we need to stay alert. We need to be looking for things to pray for, but we also need to pray with the attitude of thanksgiving. He says, always asking and always thanking. All right, those are the two ways we need to pray, and those are the two ways we need to be alert. In the next verse, in verse 3, he says, At the same time, pray also for us. He's talking about himself. He said, Pray for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should or as I'm supposed to do. 
See, Paul, he's asking this new church, a new church just, you know, similar to, to us, a new church like we're a new church. He's saying, hey, 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 while you're looking for things to pray for, I got one. Pray for me. All right, at this point, Paul, he's in prison, and he's literally in chains, like he says, and uh, because he's a Christian, because that was wrong and illegal back then, and people, you know, the governor, governing leaders didn't, didn't appreciate that, and so he's, he's in prison. And notice what he, he's not saying, hey, pray that I could get out of prison. Pray that my life will be more comfortable. That's not what Paul does. Right? When he says open a door, it's not like, hey, pray that you know, the door will open and I can, I can escape or jailbreak. You know, it's not what, he's saying, no, pray that a door may be open so that I can reach people. Pray that God will make the situation work where I will be able to tell somebody about what Jesus has done. He's saying that's what I need, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. We should be praying for ourselves. That God will open up a door for us. You know, for those of us who are Christians, we should be aware of the people in our lives who don't have a relationship with God. We should be alert. We should be aware. You know, a lot of times I feel like, you know, we pray, yeah, God, you know, open up the door so I can, so I can reach my friends or reach my family or, you know, whatever it might be. I feel like a lot of times God has already opened the door. We just haven't walked through it. You know what I mean? Where it's like, you know, we're there. All right, we're with them or we spend time with them. And, you know, the door is open, but we're like, yeah, you know, God, open up this door, make it wider, make it easier somehow, you know, make it, make it easy on me. And that's not how we're supposed to, it's not how we're supposed to necessarily live our life. Um, it amazes me how a lot of times people will come up and, you know, they'll be describing, hey, you know, my family, you know, this family member, they're dying, or, or my friend, they're dying. And um, one of my first questions is always, well, are, you know, they have a relationship with Jesus, or where, that, where are they at with God? Um, are, they, are they saved? All right, the most important thing. And it boggles my mind how many people will, will answer, they'll, you know, how many people will say something like, well, you know, I don't really know. I've never asked them that question before. I'm not, I'm not sure. See, we need to be thinking of that stuff. See, the idea of people going to hell, that should bother us. It should bother us a lot, especially, especially the people that we know. That's why a couple, or the series right before Job, so a few weeks ago, um, one of my challenges I had for you was to talk to three people in your life that you're not 100% sure of their story. You don't necessarily know when they became a Christian. And ask them. It's just straight up asking. Nothing wrong with asking. Not, not that, you know, not that hard. See, we should care enough to at least ask. And even asking really isn't even enough because, you know, are you a Christian? How'd how that happen? Um, because, you know, 75% of the United States claim to be Christians. Right? 75% of the United States claim that, they, yeah, me and God, we're, we're cool. We got, you know, we got it going on. It's really more than that. It's more than just asking. It's really digging in and figuring out when they had actually made that decision to follow Jesus in their life because that's what it is. It's a decision. It's a moment. In our life, we're not just born this way. All right, we each make a decision in our life to either follow Jesus or to not, and it should matter to us because it's our responsibility. The people around us, our responsibility. Colossians five, next next verse, Paul says, "Act wisely." See the first part; he talks about praying. Now he's getting into the doing. He says, "Act wisely." towards outsiders. Now, who are outsiders? Those are just people that, uh, that don't have a relationship with God, which we all have. There's people like this in this room. We all have all around us. And he says, making the most of the time. 
He says, hey man, what, what you gotta do is you need to act wisely, right? Being wise in how you live your life, that's, that's important. See, a lot of us, what we think is we're like, well, you know, I'm a good person, I treat people well, you know, I'm, I'm respected, I live a good, wise, you know, I live a good, wise life. But the context that Paul is saying here, he's not saying, hey, you know, be wise with your money, make sure you put it in, you know, make sure you don't blow it all. No, he's talking about the context is telling others about Jesus. The context is, hey, we're supposed to be out there spreading the word. And so Paul, he's saying, hey, you need to act wisely, living your life in such a way that you are always taking eternity into account. Meaning when we're at work, we're taking eternity into account. We care about the people around us. We're wondering, hey, where's this person going for eternity? Where's this person going forever? Where's this, you know, we wonder what, happened, what would happen to this person when they die? What, what are they going through? We should always be living a life where we are always taking eternity into account, something that a lot of us, I feel like, we, we struggle with. Why? Because we get distracted by everything that's going on in the world. Politics. Schoolwork. Right? Climbing the ladder of success living a comfortable life for yourself and, 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 and your family, or we're focused on keeping our family close-knit or keeping our family together. All these are, are good things, but when we replace it with our mission, that, then we got a problem. Providing for our family, every advantage, making sure our kids get every, you know, every experience uh, that, that, that you know, all the other kids get. Or leaving, and then one day, you know, our goal is to leave them a pile of money for them to have as a gift. And we do all this, and we live our life, and we climb the ladder, and we, we go, 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 go throughout our life, getting distracted by all these things. But then we don't impart to them the one thing that actually matters. And that's pushing them to have a relationship with Jesus. So God said, Paul, he's saying, hey, you need to act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Now, why, why should we be making most of the time? Why does that matter? Because we don't have much of it, Right? I mean, how many of you noticed that uh, life goes by pretty quick? Have you ever thought that? You like look at your kids and you're like, how the heck are they that old? Or maybe you look at yourself and you're like, I'm old. What happened to me? You know, you ever do that? All right. Um, that uh, life is quick. The Bible says that we're just, a, you know, our life, the amount of time of our life is just like a mist. It's like there and then it's just gone, forgotten about, over. Right? That's our life. It goes by quickly. Even, I mean, just look at our church the past year. It's gone by quick. A lot of stuff has happened in the last year, but, it, but it's, gone by, it's gone by quick. See, the way that we live our life matters. And the way that we manage our, our small amount of time that we have in our life, it matters. We just don't, it's just not we have all this time that we can do whatever we want. No, it matters. And it goes by quick. We only have a handful of time. How are we going to use it? See, Paul, he recognizes this. Because some of us, we say we're Christians, and, you know, let's just say maybe we actually are. But our lives don't show it. Sure, parts of our lives are good, right? The parts that we bring to church, right? The parts that, that we display on for others, the parts that we put on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, TikTok, whatever, you know, whatever thing you're all into. All right, we, we make sure those are good. We, we look good towards others. We want everybody to, you know, to look up to us and, and to have, you know, to think of us in a positive way. But then on the inside, man, our life, a lot of us, our life is just a mess. Right? Our, our marriage is falling apart. Our relationships with our parents is just, you know, it's just, it's just non-existent. Or, you know, our relationship with our girlfriend or our boyfriend is not even close to where God wants us to be. 
or the way we treat our roommate doesn't match up, or the way that we treat others at work is not the way Jesus would have us treat others. You know, it's just, we have all these things in our life. It's like Paul's saying, hey, no, no, you got to understand, people are watching you. Like, the way you live your life, it matters. It's not just the way you live your life, though. It's also the way that you talk. That's what he says in verse 6. He says, let your speech always be gracious. Now, how many of you struggle with that? Let your speech always be gracious, right? I feel like, uh, you know, he doesn't say sometimes. He says always, which that word wasn't in there, but it is, all right? He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. See, this is all in the context of evangelism. This is all in the context of telling others about what Jesus has done. He says, let your speech be gracious, like seasoned with salt. Now, salt, back then especially, even now, all right, we like things, you know, we like salt. Um, but back then, salt was like extremely important because salt did several things. Number one, it makes things taste better. All right, that's good. Um, but also, back then, they used it as a preservative, and it helped things stay good longer, holds back decay. All right, but the salt, which was important to them, which did, did so many different things um, for them and, and for us, but salt has no impact if we leave it in the shaker. That's a good thing, but it doesn't do anything, right? It doesn't provide any good. See, usually that's our problem, right? We don't go out and do anything, and that's what Paul's saying. He's like, no, no, it's two things. You got to pray, and then you got to do. It's not one or the other. You don't get to pick which one's your favorite. He's like, you have to do both. So maybe some of you, you feel like you got the prayer thing down, right? Like you got your list. You're like, yeah, 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 I'm good. You know, I pray for these people every day. We feel pretty good about it. We feel pretty good about ourselves. We feel pretty responsible. It's like me when I was eight years old with the cat, right? I felt like I was responsible. You know, I'm like, yeah, check it. You know, I'm keeping this thing alive. I care for it. I love it. But am I being responsible? No. See, very few of us, we actually go out and talk to people. We don't, we're, some of us, we're so good at praying, but we're only doing half the job. There's very few of us that spend our life being alert, looking for, for opportunities, looking for, for doors that are open, that God has opened for us, looking for things that we, can, that we can pray for, talking to our family, our friends, our coworkers, people in our class, you know, all these people, people on our team. And Paul, what he's doing is he's pointing out these two parts. He's saying, first, you got to talk to God about people, but then you got to talk to people about God. It's two things, and you got to do both. See, for most of us in here, including myself, right, we forget to do the first part. I mean, we try to. We mean well. We just, we just forget. We forget to talk to God about people. And then we refuse to talk to people about God. Because that's just awkward. We don't like to do that. It's just, it just makes us uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Right? Sometimes life's uncomfortable. We, we get that. I mean, how many of you guys, you know, going to the doctor, a lot of times, uncomfortable. Uh, this past week on Friday, I, well, two days ago, I guess, I, um, I went to the eye doctor because they made me go because I had it. My prescription was outdated. I needed contacts, all this stuff. And I'm just like, this is a riot, you know, come on. But uh, so I go to the, to the eye doctor. And uh, the thing I hate about the eye doctor, right, and I know this is, I'm, you know, I can't even think of the word. I know this is like kind of lame. But, uh, but the thing I hate is like, you know, you put your chin in that machine and they shoot air into your eye. You know what I'm talking about? Do your doctors do that or is it just mine torturing me? Okay. All right. Hate that. 
right? So I'm sitting there, and this is what I do every time, because I'm like, I'm about to man up. Mm-mm. I'm not flinching. You know what I mean? And I'm looking at the thing. I'm looking at, you know, I got my eye wide open. I'm looking at the little dots dotting around, you know, and, I'm, and I know that air, they put the thing like right there, and I know the air is coming, and I know it's going to, and I'm like, I'm not flinching, and then every time it's like, oh, and I think that's what you're supposed to do. I think that's why they're like testing to make sure, you know, you react, because if you don't, apparently your eye's going to die or something. I don't know. I should have looked up why they do that, so I sounded more educated before I came in here, but I forgot. Um, but, uh, but you got a second try, right? Like you always get two tries because you got the two eyes. Then you move to the next eye, and I'm like, I'm ready, I'm ready. And then I flinch. It's just like, oh, how embarrassing. This lady's watching me, you know, just from air. It's air. Um, but what's, what's interesting to me is, right, we do uncomfortable things when it's good for us. Apparently that's supposed to be good for me, right? We do uncomfortable things when it's good for us, when it's worth it in our sense to us. But then we turn around and we refuse to help others find Jesus in the name of discomfort. See, what we're doing is, when we do that, is we're choosing our own comfort over, their, over possibly their eternity. Or we're choosing our own comfort over, possibly, or over our responsibility. By the way, aren't you glad that the generations in the past didn't choose their comfort over their responsibility? Aren't you glad? All right, the Colossian people, they don't know what's about to happen to them when Paul's writing this letter. But just a few short years after this, um, within their generation, within their lifetime, um, a new emperor uh, comes to power, and his name is Emperor Nero. And this dude was crazy, okay? You should go Google him. He did a whole bunch of horrible awful things. And uh, this guy hated Christians, all right? Christianity was new. Um, the, you know, they're following this, this, you know, what they viewed as dead guy. Jesus was, was just crazy. They weren't worshiping all our gods. They weren't, you know, paying money to all these different temples that were all over the Roman Empire. And so it was a problem to them. And so um, Emperor Nero, he started going after Christians. And if he heard you were a Christian, he was going to arrest you and your entire family, bring you in and, and torture you to death, literally. And so he had cr- he crucified Christians on crosses. Um, um, throughout, throughout Rome, he would put them in boiling pots of oil and, and cook them literally alive. One thing he would do, and he was famous for this, is he would impale Christians on a pole, and then he would stick the pole in the ground, douse them in oil, and light them on fire. That's how he lit his gardens at night. Okay, this guy hated Christians. He's the guy who eventually beheads Paul. This is the guy who kills Peter. And so for the first 100 years of Christianity, I mean, it's hard. All right, we live such comfortable lives here in the United States that these people didn't know anything even close to that. All right, I had to research a bunch, of, uh, a bunch of this stuff for my dissertation for my doctorate degree and, uh, and, and within the last year or last year. And as I'm reading it, you know, there's like kind of three things that stuck out to me. Number one, it was horrifying to hear and read these firsthand accounts, these manuscripts of what Christians had to go through just because they were Christians. Men, women, d- didn't matter. But number two, it gave me a sense of thankfulness, right? Because I'm thinking to myself as I'm reading this stuff, I'm like, the only reason I'm here is because of them. It's because they wouldn't stop telling people. And number three, it also gave me a sense of pride. Because I'm like, those are my people. Those are my brothers and sisters. Right, those are my people that, that they took responsibility for their generation and it cost them. 
back then, the Colosseum. I mean, the Christians were thrown into the Colosseum. They faced lions without weapons. They were torn to pieces in front of crowds of thousands of people. And in fact, in the Colosseum right now, there's a small white cross that's there that's dedicated to represent all the Christians that died there because so many Christians died there. Right, they would light arenas with burning Christians staked uh, to crosses. Um, Christians, they would, cl- they would be clothed in wild animal skin. They would throw them in pits where dogs would, would, would rip them to shreds. They were burned at the stake. They were thrown off buildings. Right, they were drugged through streets by, you know, by horses. All this just because they wouldn't stop telling people this great news. Actually, there's one thing that I'm going to read for you in just a second. Um, there's one manuscript that that I just love. This is written by, uh, by a governor named Pliny, and uh, he is writing the Emperor Trajan, which is actually two emperors after Nero. And this guy is not a Christian. He's writing about Christians. This guy's not a Christian. Actually, this guy was part of the problem. This guy is one who's actively torturing and killing anybody that he can find who are Christians. And this is what this guy writes about Christians. He says this in this letter. He says, For the moment, this is the line that I've taken with all persons brought before me on the charge of being Christians. He says, number one, I have asked them in person if they are Christians, and if they admit it, I repeat the question a second and a third time. So he asks them three different times. If they still say, yeah, I'm a Christian, he's like, are you sure? You know, let's try that again. Are you a Christian? Yeah, well, okay, third time. He says, "Um, with a warning, the third time I would ask them with a warning of the punishment awaiting them. Like, if you don't understand, if you, if you say you're a Christian again, if you answer me yes, then, then you know, this terrible punishment is going to happen on you. You know, are you sure this is what you want to answer? He says, if they persist, I order them to be led away for punishment for whatever the nature of their admission. I'm convinced that their stubbornness and unshakable obstinacy ought to be punished, meaning I can't get these people to stop. He says, there have been others similarly fanatical who are Roman citizens. Some of them are Roman citizens. They were like class higher than everybody else. He says, I've entered them on the list of persons to be sent to Rome for punishment. All right? I considered that I should dismiss any who denied that they were or ever have been Christians. Meaning you could go away if you, if you say that, you, oh, I've never been a Christian. You're free to go. Once they had repeated after me a formula of invocation to God. This is what they had to do an invocation to the gods, and had made offering of wine to the incense to your statue, which, by the way, emperor, I had ordered to be brought into the court for this purpose, along with images of gods. And furthermore, I had cursed the name of Christ. He says all they had to do was say, I am not a Christian, and I've never been a Christian. They have to worship these fake gods. They have to worship your statue, emperor. And, uh, and then they have to curse the name of Christ, and they're free to go. He says, but real Christians, as I've found out or as I've understand, they can never be induced to do these things. I can't get them to do these. He says, they declared that the sum of their total guilt or error amounted to, amounted to no more than this. So this is all that Christians were doing. He says, they had met regularly on Sundays, just like we do today, before dawn on a fixed day, to chant verses alternately among themselves in honor of Christ, as if to a God. They honor this dead guy, Jesus, as if he was a God. And also to bind themselves by oath, not for any criminal purpose, but to abstain from these things. Theft, robbery, and adultery. To commit no breach of trust, meaning to not lie and to refuse, uh, and not to refuse a return, a deposit upon demand. Meaning they paid back their loans. 
After this ceremony on Sunday morning, so he's talking about church, he said it had been their custom to disperse and later to take uh, food of an ordinary harmless kind. They went out and they ate together, right? right after Sunday, Sunday morning church, you know, restaurant run. Uh, but they had, in fact, given this up since my edict issued on your instructions, which banned all political societies. So they gave that up, all right, because I made it illegal. He said, this made me decide that it was all the more necessary to extract the truth from two slave women that he had caught, whom they called deaconesses. I don't know what that is, but no, those are, you know, that, he's saying, I don't know what that is. This is just a church leader. Um, by torture, we have deaconesses in our church. He says, I found nothing but a degenerate sort of cult carried to extravagant lengths. So I have therefore postponed any further examination and hastened to consult you. He's like, so emperor, what do you want me to do? Here's a non-Christian guy who's torturing Christians. And this is how he describes us. Stubborn. <laughs> you know, won't, won't stop. You know, this is our heritage. All right, we are only here because of people like these. Like, do we get that? I don't think we think about that. We take everything for granted. We live such comfortable, easy lives. But we are only here, I am only here this morning, and you are only here this morning because people like these two slave women wouldn't shut up about what God has done for them. See, these people, they sacrifice so much just so that you and me could know the truth. And then in return, we, we refuse to tell people about the good news that could save them for eternity because it makes us feel uncomfortable. See how messed up that is? I mean, what's the worst that can happen to us? Conversation gets awkward, right? Or they look at us funny, right? It's kind of weird for five minutes or whatever. For them, the worst that can happen for them is they get impaled, doused in oil, and set on fire as they burn alive, all right? I mean, and for them, it was worth it. They were like, yeah, 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 that, I'm not looking forward to that, but, uh, but that's worth, I will do that. I will die, I'll be tortured to death if only, you know, just to get the word out. It's worth it to me so that you could know the truth. See, for 2,000 years, Christians have followed Paul's words here. And it cost them something, and we're the ones who have benefited. See, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls. We get that? This generation of Christians, meaning me and you, those of us who truly have a relationship with God in here, we are responsible for this generation of souls. And Paul's saying, hey, that, that for you to reach those people, it takes, you gotta do two things. Number one, you gotta pray. And number two, you gotta do. You gotta talk to God about people, and then you gotta talk to people about God. And we as a church, we're here to help you. We want to help you do this. That's why we got shirts, you know? That's why we do that just... Make it easier to strike up a conversation. That's why we got bumper stickers. Those are free. Grab as many of those as you want. All right, we've had people come to our church and get saved just because they saw a sign in someone's yard. All right, it's just crazy. The things that God uses. All right, every single one of us who are truly a believer, we should be out there talking to the people that we care about and the people around us, using the doors that God has already opened being alert to what's going on and talking to people. 
And if, if we don't feel like, if we don't want to sacrifice a little bit of comfort, if it's not worth it to us to sacrifice some of our comfort to talk to people, at least invite them to church. To where, and we'll do it. And so that's my challenge for this week. Next week, I'm going to try to give the gospel in the most clear, concise way that I possibly can. And again, our whole goal as a church is to to reach as many people as we possibly can. And so my challenge to you this week is think of five people that you can at least invite to church. You should be talking to those people, but at least invite them to church for next week and just know that they'll be faced with that decision or with the opportunity to make that decision to follow Jesus or to reject him next week. If you can't do five, at least do three. Do something. This is our job. This is our mission. We are responsible for Seneca County and Tiffin. We are the ones that God has chosen to reach our area. It's us. It's on us. Pray do it. Talk to God about people. Talk to people about God. And then watch God use us. Let's pray. God, we, um, we thank you for everything you've given in our lives. We do not thank you enough. You've made our lives so comfortable. Right? And it's sad because we turn around and we... we it's like our lives are so comfortable that we, we lose focus of our mission. We lose focus of our job. What we're trying to do as a church, as a family, we're together, we're a team, and we lose focus of it. God, you have placed us in specific places within our life, within the community, all around the community. God, please help us to use those doors that you've already opened. Open our eyes to that. God, help us to reach people. Help us to sacrifice our comfort to take on our responsibility. Lord, we thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. For this next song, as we wrap up here, um, we'd ask that uh, just stay seated and just think about, think through those five, those five people that you can invite to church next Sunday.